Good morning. Um, the scripture reading today is from the book of Ruth. Uh, we're actually going to read pretty much an entire summary of the book, and it's also found in your uh, bulletin, so you can follow along. I'm going to use the podium so that I can hold my place. <laughs> in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malhan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malhan and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Cedar Run Community Church. We are glad to have you here worshiping with us. Uh, as Lauren read for us, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Uh, we'll be camping out there this morning. Now, I have to give a tip of the hat to my life group for some of the ideas uh, that, I, that we thought of uh, about, pre about preaching this morning. Uh, my father-in-law, John Seferic, was one of the teachers, and Harold Hewlett uh, also taught. 
Uh, and Pastor Mark, who's also in my life group, we're like, you know what? Some of this stuff would make a great sermon. Now, as you guys know, Pastor Mark is the preacher over at Arcola Bible Church now. And he says, you know what? I'm going to do a series on Ruth based on what we learned here in our life group. Uh, I think I'm going to do four sermons, a series of four sermons. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it in one. (laughs) So the alternate title for this morning's sermon is Speed Ruth. (laughs) But the book of Ruth, it's really one story. It's about a family that fell on hard times. Uh, There was a famine in the land of Israel. Uh, So it's a lot like losing your job or not being able to keep up with your credit cards or student loan payments. Uh, And it's deciding to move somewhere cheaper. Uh, Maybe the housing's cheaper or, you know, uh, maybe the taxes are lower. So we moved to Moab. Or for us, maybe Richmond. That's not a knock on Richmond, okay? I like Richmond. Uh, But there's no praying about it. There's no trusting in God. Uh, And although Elimelech uh, and and Naomi, they're part of God's people, they really aren't carrying it practically over into their lives. Uh, They're turning away from God to seek safety instead of turning to God. So they're afraid of poverty, and they panic instead of pray. So they're trying to deal with it out of their own wisdom. So Elimelech, he loads the family up in the minivan, and they move to Moab. And this is really a problem, too, because Moab was one of the places, uh, it was really one of the bitterest enemies of Israel. So it's almost disobedience, direct disobedience to God in going there. But they go all in, they put all their chips on the table, uh, they move to Moab, uh, and their boys, uh, they marry a couple of Moabite women. But then... Everything they're trying to avoid happens to them anyway. There's death and there's poverty. Because Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, they all die. So they had sold their property back in Israel to fund their move to Moab. It's kind of like cashing out your 401k in an emergency. Uh, and they get to Moab and there's death. And they, now they really have nothing. Now they're worse than when they started. And in that time, uh, widows were especially vulnerable. Because nowadays, we have money and education and jobs. That's how we gauge our success. But back then, it was your family. So Naomi needed a spouse and children, and they died at the worst time. They died before she could have more offspring to carry on the family name. Uh, but after, you know, after she'd be able to remarry, because she's too old to remarry now. So we're going to pick it up this morning uh, with Naomi and Ruth and Orpah on the road home, heading back to Israel. Uh, And this is really a great story for us, because what happens when we go off on our own and try to figure things out without prayer? Can we be redeemed? If we want to go back home, how do we get redeemed? Can we be redeemed? How do we fix things? How do we trust in God again? Or for the first time? You've come to the right place because Ruth is a story about redemption. And it's, it's chock full of redemptions. Uh, it's got redemption for individuals. It's got redemption for families. It's got redemption for countries and even the whole world. So this morning we're going to look at three roads to redemption. First, the road to redemption. Literally. Not very imaginative, right? So the road to redemption. Secondly, a hidden redeemer. And lastly, we're going to learn about the real redeemer. So the road to redemption, a hidden redeemer and the real 
Redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the book of Ruth, Lord. It's so chock full of redemption. It's so full of your love for us, Lord, and it shows us all the ways that you would redeem us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us, that it would uh, be with my words, Lord, uh, and also that it would be in the hearts uh, of everybody here listening so we could understand you more and understand redemption more. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the road to redemption. Let's read here in uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I've got a slide for that. So when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now, I've got a little map here. It kind of shows the road they took back uh, to Bethlehem there. Now, uh, scale-wise, Israel is a lot smaller place in the United States, so that's really just kind of a trip around the Capitol Beltway. You can see where they're going to get jammed up at the bottom at the Wilson Bridge. But we're going to start out with a little character study this morning in our Road to Redemption. Uh, so there's these three ladies, uh, and there's really three kind of believers here. And the first one we're going to look at is Naomi. So Naomi and her husband, they left Israel because they weren't materially blessed. There was a famine in the land. And, you know, I don't really blame Naomi for this because back then uh, a woman really had no say uh, but I feel comfortable kind of ascribing this viewpoint to her because even when she's going back to Israel, it's only because she heard uh, that the Lord was blessing Israel again. So the stock market is up in Israel. So they're going to head back. She's going to head back now. So I think of Naomi as kind of like uh, it's the story of uh, the parable of the sower. It's like the seed that gets choked out uh, by the thorns. Uh, she lets all of her worries, you know, what she has or doesn't have, uh, it's always on her mind. It's choking out her faith. And she says something very interesting in both verse 13 and, and 20 there in chapter 1. And I'll read the version from chapter 20. But she says she's bitter about it. Listen to this. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now the name Naomi, it means sweet. But now she's Mara. And Mara means bitter in Hebrew. And she blames God for it. She says, the Lord has brought me back empty. I'm like, whoa, this is God's fault. What this, what this showed me was that it really wasn't about God for Naomi. It was about what God could give her. So we have this subtext to God in our life sometimes. We'll say, like, God, I'm asking you into my life. But what's really important to me are my goals and my plans. And as long as you're helping me get there, I want you in my life, God. And that's kind of sneaky, isn't it? Because in that situation, God isn't really sovereign. He's not the real master. We are. So God becomes just a means to an end, rather than the end in and of himself. We're not worshiping God for his beauty or what he's done for us, how he saved us anymore. Only 
worshiping him, worshiping him for what he can give us. And when he doesn't come through, we become Mara. We become bitter. Now, there's people I've known who've professed Christianity, uh, but they no longer walk with God. The one thing that they had in common was that they inwardly felt that God wasn't blessing them enough, wasn't awarding them enough for their godliness or their faithfulness, and they got bitter. Now, I don't want to, also don't want to download on Naomi too much either because she and her widowed daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, they're hitting the road, they're getting on the on-ramp to the beltway, and she pulls the car over. She says, and she's thinking about the girl, she says, go back. She's actually thinking about what's best for them. There's this selflessness about Naomi. Now, if you're on a long road trip with your bitter mother-in-law, and she says, <laughs> she says you don't have to go, What do you do? Well, let's see what happens here in Ruth chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. It says, we will go back to you with your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? So in verse 10, both Ruth and Orpah, they're going to stay with Naomi. They're going to ride it out. But then in verse 11, she reminds them what they're facing. At least if they stay in Moab, they can go back to their mothers, their family. They may get remarried. It's the culture they know. They know people there. Naomi's like, go back. You'll be better off. Now, Orpah, this is our second character study. Orpah changes her mind, and she turns around. So Orpah started on the road with them. She makes a decision, but it doesn't stick. So maybe she realized that as a dreaded Moabite, you know, living in Israel could, could be problematic. I mean, there could be uh, racial tensions. There could be discrimination. Maybe she doesn't want to take all those Hebrew as a learning language classes. So she's like the person who prays the prayer, but you never see them in church again. And maybe she can't, maybe, she, maybe those people just can't part with their old life. And from the parable of the sower, maybe, maybe it's like the seed cast on the rocky ground that gets snatched up and eaten by the birds. So that's Orpah. Now we get to Ruth. They named the book after her, so this is going to be important. In chapter 1, verse 16, Ruth replies, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Now Ruth sees something in Naomi that gets her attention. So despite Naomi's bitterness, Naomi had told him in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 8, May the Lord show you a kindness as you, have shown, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands. Now there's that word kindness, and I, I preached about it back in December when we talked about 2 Samuel. But that word kindness there is not just being nice. It's, it's the Hebrew word for that covenant love relationship that never gives up on you or never leaves. It's the, it's the same kind of kindness like a covenant in a marriage. You're never going to leave. And Naomi says this. She goes, you know, you showed it to my sons in marriage. Even though they weren't one of you, they didn't come from Moab. They were the immigrants. They were the outsiders. But they, were accept, they accepted Naomi's sons. So Naomi says this. Now, 
let my Lord, let my God, let my God, may my God bless you like that too. So Naomi is actually showing that to Ruth and Orpah now. She wants what's best for them. So she's thinking of them first, and it's at her own expense when she tells them to go back. It should be far better traveling with a couple of younger women. They can kind of support each other, but she's thinking of them first. So Ruth, she sees this kindness, this hesed, this selflessness that Naomi has toward her. And maybe she's like, where does this come from? How does a person, how can they be so kind like that? I want that too. I want to be the kind person. How can I be selfless like that? And she says in chapter 1, verse 16, Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And she uses the word God there, the covenant name for God, Yahweh. That's what his followers call him. At that moment, Ruth decides that the God of Israel is going to be her God. That sounds like a conversion, doesn't it? So there's redemption already. So we don't even have to wait for Boaz to do his thing, to do his redeeming. There's already the Lord redeeming Ruth. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) Not so fast. Because that brings us to the hidden redeemer of the story. That's our second road today. So as it reads in chapter 1, verse 22, Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So in chapter 2, Ruth and Naomi, they get back to Israel. They made their trip. They're back, but they're completely poor. They're completely destitute. They have nothing. They're even worse than when they left. So Ruth tells Naomi, she says, you know what? I'm going to go out and glean behind the harvesters. She takes the initiative. I'm going I'm to support both of us. I'm going to go out and glean. Now, what that means, according to Old Testament law, landowners could not harvest all the way to the edges of their property. They weren't allowed to maximize their profits. They couldn't squeeze every penny or every shekel out of their investment. They had to leave some of the edges for the poor. It was kind of the Old Testament version of food stamps or the local food bank. Now, Boaz, he owns the field. He shows up one day, and he goes... Who is that? He sees, he sees Ruth out there, and his workers tell him. They go, oh, that's, uh, that's the Moabite who came back with Naomi. So it's like a story that's gotten around. They've heard you know, that Naomi's back after she left and that she's got Ruth this Moabite with her, right? But what really struck me about this passage here is that the workers in the field, they don't use Ruth's name. They say the Moabite. They just use her ethnicity to describe her. And that's really, really dehumanizing. It's like a gut punch. It's like saying, oh, it's just that Mexican in the field. That is so horrible. I don't even want to say that to you guys this morning, but it's something that we need to hear. We can't be dehumanizing people. But word has gotten around. Maybe it's a scandal, you know, there's this undocumented worker in the field or whatever. Maybe they're going to run off to Boaz and uh, Boaz is going to call ICE, right? But you know what happens? Boaz, right away, he approaches her. 
And he says, stay in my field. You're the safest here. He says in chapter 2, verse 9, I've told my men not to lay a hand on you. That's another thing that really jumped out at me, besides them referring to her as a Moabite, is I've told my men not to lay a hand on you. The discrimination must be so great that there's actual physical danger for an immigrant. You know what Boaz does? Not only does he allow her to glean, not only does he guarantee her safety, but he gives her, he goes above and beyond. He says, you need some water, you've got to drink. When you eat, we want you to eat with us. So he's integrating her into, into the people there. He's assimilating her. He gives her extra gleanings, not just what he's required to do. No, go get a loaf of bread at the food pantry. It says, you know what? You know, here's a gift card to sweet water. So he's taking Ruth under his wing. And now she is under his protection. And I'm convinced that he really knew the details of the story, that it was really going around out there because Boaz has moved. And listen to this. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 11, he goes, I've been told all about what you have done. And not just these little details here, not just sticking with Naomi, but also this, who she's really come to. Listen to, uh, to chapter 2, verse 12. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. So the word is out that she's converted. And when Naomi, she gets back, she's working in the fields, she goes back home to Naomi, and Naomi hears about it. Naomi's like beside herself. She's like, Boaz is family. How did you wind up there? Because Boaz in the Old Testament is what's known as the kinsman redeemer or their guardian redeemer. So in a grace to families in the Old Testament, what God did was he made a way for them to get their land back. If they ever came on hard times and had to sell it and they needed money and they absolutely had to sell their land, God said, I'm going to make, make a way for you to get that land back. Because back then, without land, you really had nothing. So somebody who's a relative in the family, it could be close, could be distant, whatever it is, they had the right to buy it. And nobody had to wait for the for sale sign to come up. You could just buy it right away. And of course, guess whose field Ruth winds up in? It's God's providence. So Naomi, she's all excited. She goes, you know what? She goes to Ruth and she says, here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to go to the threshing room floor. And when Boaz lies down, Go uncover his feet and lie down with him. Now, it's not what you think, okay? I thought that uncover, maybe uncovering somebody's feet is a euphemism. It's not. Because it says here, also in the book of Ruth, that Boaz is a man of unbesmirched character. He has the highest character. What's happening here is this careful little dance. Because Boaz has already placed Ruth under his protection, hasn't he? And Ruth has already placed herself at Boaz's mercy. So when Ruth lies down and uncovers his feet and he wakes up, he's like, whoa, what is going on here? And Ruth says in chapter 3, verse 9, here's what she says. She goes, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. All she's really saying about this setup they have is, Let's just make it official. 
It's almost like the first proposal of a woman to a man in, like, uh, in, by, uh, you know, in history. But it's not, okay? I want to explain why. Because, guys, you know when you ask your wife to marry her that she already knew it was coming. Right? I went and bought a ring. I'm, like, making it all a surprise and stuff and a special night and all that. But Tracy knew months ago that it was going to happen. It's almost as if, you know, she had a way of, like, the Jedi mind trick, Right? I try to tell my son, don't chase the girls too hard. You're going to be selected, okay? <laughs> but when somebody covers you like that in ancient times, that's an official marriage proposal. So when, Mo, when Boaz does it, he's proposing marriage. And in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, that's how God describes taking Israel figuratively as his bride. He says, I spread my skirt over you. So what a guy this Boaz is. He's kind to the poor. He accepts outsiders. He's good to immigrants. Now he's going to marry somebody from Moab. It's like the first biracial couple ever. And it's all at a great cost to himself. Because he's not even get the property that he buys. He won't even get that back. That property is going back to Naomi. So Boaz offers himself to Ruth. He offers acceptance, security, provision. And it's in that covenantal, I'll never give up on you way. It's that said way. So Boaz makes the offer. And now Ruth comes to Boaz and gives him herself. She says, Spread your garment over me. And that is how we should approach our Redeemer, Jesus. He has given us an eternal love and security and it has said we never would have had. He's covered us. He spread his skirt over us. The way God sees us, he also describes it in Ezekiel 16. He sees us like a crying discarded baby on the side of the road, left to die. And here's what he says. Here's what God says. Then I passed by, and I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. He sees us totally helpless in ourself, and he covers us. And if that wasn't good enough, how could it get any better, Right? Ruth gets redeemed, not just into Boaz's family, not accepted just into Israel. See, she doesn't just get her green card. She gets redeemed right into the line of Jesus Christ. That brings us to our last road today, the real Redeemer. So Ruth marries Boaz, and eventually they have a son. The book of Ruth ends with the genealogy in chapter 4, verse 17. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And that line goes all the way to Jesus. And that's how an immigrant on the wrong side of the border fence winds up in the line of the Messiah. That's how an immigrant gets redeemed has a hand in redeeming the world by starting a family line that leads to the Redeemer. Now, if you're here today and you're trying to be like Ruth or Boaz, it's going to be hard 
to push through the tough times. It's going to be hard to regroup when we fail. It's even going to be hard to feel the joy when God brings us back. But if you see this story as pointing to the real Redeemer, unless you've seen that Jesus, the true Redeemer, has covered you with his garment, unless you see his beauty, not for what he can give you, not for what he can give you, but just for who he is and how now all his spiritual wealth is yours, you'll never really be like Ruth or Boaz. And that's going to be really tough in Northern Virginia. I want to warn you. Because the tendency of God's redemptive plan, the tendency of the gospel, is always to manifest itself where you least expect it and how you least expect it. I like to call it gospel opposites. It's always the opposite of what you think it's going to be. So here is an outsider, someone from another race, someone from an immigrant in the time of natural-born Israelites. And she's poor. She's left her family and her country. She has no family, no country identity, no political party. And that can be tough for us to see here in Northern Virginia. Because here in Northern Virginia, we are the ultimate insiders. We are living in the other land of milk and honey. And it's not the real land of milk and honey. This is the promised land of secular human history. There is no richer, more blessed time or place in humanity than here. You know, we are immigrants to the gospel. We are sinners from Moab. But we got our visa at the consulate. Now, maybe you're not a Christian here today. Or maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian. Maybe you're on the road like Orpah. You're looking wistfully back at your old life. Do you turn back? Or do you hide under his wing? Do you want that? But you've got to ask him to cover you first. Just showing up at the field every day and asking for a spiritual handout is not going to be enough. God will give those to you. He will answer your prayers. He will bless you if you're not a believer, okay? But all of that blessing, all that answered prayer is just to lead you to his feet. And you also can't work in the field to earn it. Ruth didn't show up and like sign up as part of the work party. She had no right to be there. She came empty-handed. She accepted the free gift that Boaz offered. And just like Ruth did with Boaz, you need to accept the free gift from Jesus. That is the first thing. In order to be his, you've got to lay down at his feet and ask him to cover you. There's a new land, a new home, a new people, and a new God waiting for you right now. Or maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you need to come home. You've been in the other country looking for the blessing. Let me ask you this. Have you ever trusted God just for his sovereign goodness or only in what he can give you? Do you love him enough to pursue him all the days of your life, no matter what? Because it's only then that you can be like Ruth, free to leave home, 
free to find a new life, free to move away, and free to make radical new commitments that are aligned with God's will. And you can find the strength and courage to honor the commitments you've already made. And when you know that he loves you enough to cover you with his wings, it's going to give you a freedom and joy that can't even be shaken by the hard times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the story of Ruth. Lord, we could do 40, 50, 60 sermons on Ruth. There's so much redemption, Lord, so much healing. It really is the road to redemption. Any way you look at Ruth, Lord, Lord, I pray that every time we look at you, Lord, it's not about uh, making sure the economy doesn't tank or that I can afford the bigger house or that I can have two new cars in the driveway instead of one, Lord. I pray that we would love you just for who you are, Lord, just for the fact that we can hide under your wings, Lord, uh, that we've laid at your feet and you've covered us, Heavenly Father, and that there's safety in that and there's joy in that alone, Heavenly Father. Every time we think of you, every time we pray, when we read your word in our BRG, Lord, in the, our Bible reading group, Lord, that we look at every verse, Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, New Testament, what does it mean to, my, to me and my redemption? Let us remember how you've covered us with your wings, Heavenly Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.